It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. I'm always glad you're here. This time, I'm especially glad you're here because it's our 50th episode, the big 5-0. I didn't even know that until the middle of last week when I realized we had just released our 49th. So yeah, an episode for each of the 50 states. Welcome to our 50th. Welcome to Wyoming or Hawaii, depending on how you're sorting it. My guest this week is Patty Schemmel, and Patty has been on a journey. Holy cats, what a journey she has been on. Patty Schemmel was a drummer in Seattle when she was young, late 80s, early 90s. Punk bands, probably none that you've heard of. She was far from famous, but her hard-pounding style impressed some people who were very important in the Seattle music scene, which was exploding right about then. Kurt Cobain liked her, so did Courtney Love, and Courtney hired Patty as the drummer for Hole. Soon, Patty Schemmel was playing for one of the biggest bands in the world. And then, in a very brief span, she lost everything and was living on the streets of Los Angeles. That's because Patty Schemmel has a mental illness called substance use disorder. People with SUD become fixated on using a certain substance, alcohol, could be drugs, could be tobacco, even though they know that it's causing them problems. Here's what the American Psychiatric Association says, quote, People with a substance use disorder may have distorted thinking and behaviors. Changes in the brain's structure and function are what cause people to have intense cravings, changes in personality, abnormal movements, and other behaviors. Brain imaging studies show changes in the areas of the brain that relate to judgment, decision-making, learning, memory, and behavioral control, unquote. Patty has been clean for some time. It was a long way to get there, and she got there. She's not cured of addiction. That's not how it works. She's in recovery. She will be managing it the rest of her life. Patty Schemmel's memoir of her career and illness is called Hit So Hard, same name as a documentary about her life. Now, I'm around the same age as Patty Schemmel. She grew up north of Seattle in Marysville. I grew up south of Seattle in Federal Way. We were both punk rock nerds, as you can hear in this interview. We talk about the U District. That's the area around the University of Washington in Seattle with all the used record stores and punk rockers. I asked Patty Schemmel what came first, booze or drums? Drums first, and and then alcohol. At 12, I was 11 when I started playing drums. So like, you know, pretty short after I started to drink. And my family, both of my parents are from Brooklyn, New York, and both of them are were in the program in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. So the language and the community was always kind of around. We were always around it. My, I grew up with my parents going to meetings at night and, you know, babysitter. And then if they didn't have a babysitter, we'd go to the, the Lano Club and drink a Hires root beer and wait for them to be, you know, in the other room. Um, but uh, so I always kind of sort of was aware of alcohol and what it does. And but I I never, you know, I didn't have my first drink at home out, out from my parents' liquor cabinet, like a lot of friends. Mine was, you know, my my older stoner sister 
who brought in, you know, her and her boyfriend had some Bacardi and a Clash record. I remember that. So it was like a combo of like great stuff for me. It was like a, a new, my first drink and the Clash and things started to feel different. That's interesting that you were trying it at that early age, even though your parents were in the program. Like, yeah, you weren't warded off from it by no. hearing about it from your folks. No. And they were divorced. At, like they got divorced like right before I turned 11. So it was, you know, me, my brother and sister living in Marysville with my dad. Mom moved out. So we were by ourselves a lot. We just sort of had the rule of the roost and exploring and just, I remember we didn't have, I was always looking for something I just different. And like late night TV was my way out. Late night TV was like, you know, I'd watch Night Flight and, uh-huh. uh, you know, SNL and, you know, rent videos like Times Square and just that find my people that way. And I thought it was cool to like try alcohol. And I thought to myself that that there wasn't like my parents had a problem. I didn't. And I wanted to explore that that whole the idea of it and that I'm I'm going to be different. Yeah. What was music giving to you? Because we grew up in the same part of the country. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Seattle suburbs as well. And I'm almost your age. I'm a little younger, not much. And it's when you describe this, I just remember how really isolated we were. Like we yeah. couldn't find our people through our phone. You know, the phone was something that <laughs> rang in the kitchen. Exactly. You know, and, <laughs> you know, maybe if you're lucky, you got down to the university district in Seattle and yes. picked up like a, a British music magazine or something right. and felt yeah. incredibly cool. But it was hard. It was difficult. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what was your relationship with the music? You know, my parents would take us to the Pike Street Market. And, in you know, at the market, there was like Golden Age Collectibles. It was a comic book store. And they had, you know, different kind of they had some magazines there. And I remember there was like other stores around there that had like rock scene magazine and, you know, hit parader and cream would have some, you know, like Patty Smith every now and then. And, and that's, and going, going to the U district, there were people that looked different. And I was like, Whoa, like first, you know, you're kind of like afraid of people that are like, you know, like punk rockers. Cause all the stuff like Phil Donahue says, <laughs> That. <laughs> the safety pins, the mohawks. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah. But then kind of just fascinated by it. And and I also had a, I was an, ang- I had an anger problem. It was always in my report cards. Patty has to watch her angry temper. And it would come up when I, early on with, you know, fights with my sister or something like that. And so I had all this energy and I remember hearing KISW would play like Boomtown Rats maybe or or The Clash and you know like the energy of rock I felt that and it was like oh that I feel like that you know yeah, yeah. and then the that more music I heard that matched my feeling Black Flag Dead Kennedys you like the popular bands and then you go deeper and so finding those bands and then Mac they were like they're talking about the way I feel you know and drums were drums helped so much for me to like get that those feelings out and hit something and make something out of the that feeling like i needed to make something tangible with it 
I mean, you've always you hit the drums hard. I mean, the, the, yeah, I know, the, yeah. the, the book and the documentary yeah, are both yeah, yeah. called Hit So Hard. And, but that's really your style. Like, you know, you, you attack the drums. And yeah. was that a catharsis kind of thing? Yes. You, like getting that stuff out? Yeah. And I also felt that I got, I had to be tough and I, I had something to prove all the, all the time. You know, it was always like, I'm not dancing around twinkling on the drum, you know, it was <laughs> about, this is my, we're at my medicine. This is how I, you know, and I also you know, prove myself, and so that's what where that all came from. But I mean, not to jump ahead too far, but I've since learned about the delicate part, and the it's hard for me to reel it in and like go about things delicately and take time and be gentle and <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's I'm conscious of it as a musician, so. I I try to be conscious of it in my life because music reminds me that everything isn't just pushing your way through life, you know. Yeah, you don't need to kick down every door. Yeah, Sometimes there yeah. are doorknobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's also why punk rock was so great was like to be around people and watch a band and get pushed and then have other people push me and like feel that was so it was it felt good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, god. I, I had a Dickies cassette that felt like a portal mm-hmm. to another dimension. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, there, yeah. there's something else out there. Uh-huh. I'm interested when you when you talk about the anger and the, the report cards saying yeah. that you, you had all this anger. Have you figured out where that was coming from? I I think I I have a, a combo platter of ideas. It's like um chemical, I think, and also having not being heard, feeling I wasn't heard and are being able to articulate and my feelings and being frustrated. And then, you know, I go to 10 immediately, my whole like chemistry just goes to, and not being able to calm it down, reel it in and speak up and talk. And that that's something I had to learn eventually later in life, how to, 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 talk about how I feel and I I don't I still have to have to take a minute to find out where feeling what I'm feeling and where and why and like unpack it because it's because I've had so many years of just covering it up and not knowing you know I never really learned how to identify it until you know now yeah yeah well I I mean it it's often one of the kind of symptoms that people don't think about as related to depression, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is, is anger because people think depression is all Morrissey in the bedroom with the lights right, out. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, but it's just as often it's, it's anger and it comes from that kind of place of despair where like, uh-huh. I am stuck. I don't know what I'm doing. I better explode. But, right. There was so much about your book that I identified with so much that. Um, oh, you read my book, and it felt so. I felt so like um, heard as well. Like it's so good to. That is also such a great thing is to find other people that feel the same and identify, and then to read it and then know that oh, it's not just me, and I'm not just lazy. Like my dad said, you know, or, you know, whatever labels were put on me and or anyone else. So, yeah, thank you for that, your book. 
I had no idea you read my book. I'm very yeah. moved right now. <laughs> I I feel and also I have I identified with when you know anger for me was also fear, and this still happens to me when I get a little bit of anxiety, like things are stressed and there's like you talked about it in your book, like I think your son was graduating and going to college or looking at and there's a lot of things that when I get anxiety, I go to sleep. I want to oh. just all of a sudden night, night, you know, I just want to check out. And, right. You just want to shut down. Yeah. And I just, I mean, even still I'm like before shows, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I'm about to like this past summer, I was playing some pretty big places and I was like, Oh, I, you know, a little bit, you know, had a little bit of, you know, just anxiety about, it. and then just feeling so like yawning and it, what it, I just, that just kicks in. I, I don't know. I mean, I know you, you didn't say exactly go to sleep, but you said you just kind of like shut down. Yeah, no, I've, I mean, I like last couple of years during some tough times, I'm like, yeah. I've really discovered naps in limited amounts. Because, uh, yeah. You know, you don't want the four hour nap, but like right. a 20, 20 to 30 minute nap is, it can be quite nice. Yeah. But it, that too was another part of your book. What, you know, you navigate, you sort of schedule your life around your depression. And, and, and I've, I've done that. And, and it took such a long time to figure out what was going on with me because I was so, I was always on drugs, self-medicating, and then, you know, get some years under my belt of recovery of without any substances and then start at that baseline, right? Right. Figure out what the reality actually yeah. is without all that. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, uh, I mean, that that's really good self-knowledge. And, and it's, you know, the, a benefit of, of age, if you do it right, is that you get to earn some wisdom, I think, along the way. But let's, let's get some more biography in here. So yeah. you grow up, you go to Seattle, yeah. you play in bands. How does joining Hole come about? Yeah, it came around when I'd been playing in a lot of different bands in Seattle and and also Tacoma. And I, I met a lot of friends from Olympia. And, you know, Kurt was one of those people. And so Dylan Carlson from Earth. He, the band Earth, not the planet. Exactly. Well, also the planet, I suppose. Yeah, both. I'd moved to San Francisco. I'd... Actually, it was what we call in the program, we call it a geographic. Um, just really had probably, you know, I'd done a lot of, I'd outstayed my welcome at, with drinking and just you know, managed to actually stay in a band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> went to San Francisco and I got a, a phone call from Dylan and he said, you know, Courtney, Kurt's wife, Courtney's looking for a new drummer for Hole. And I'd heard of Hole from... My band Sybil, we opened for Hole in Seattle, and I think I'd heard that they had a sub-pop single or something, and anyway, so he gave me Eric's number, and I talked to Eric, guitar player in Hole. This is in 91, I think, and, you know, I sent him a bunch of my singles and whatever I played on, and then I went down, and it was my 25th birthday, and I I played. I was at Jabberjaw, and... That's in L.A. or? Yeah. Jabberjaw was an all-ages club. And they had the, they used it to rehearse in during the day when no one was playing, you know, no bands were playing there. And I remember just playing 
you know, like a wiper song and then playing some whole songs. And then Kurt and Courtney came and it was, you know, it's cool. We just, I found that Courtney knew a lot about great Northwest bands that were like the sleepers or tales of terror. Like she had some good band references and stuff. And so from there, I was supposed to come back down and um, start working again, doing from San Francisco, but the, the riots happened. So oh, the LA Rodney was, King riots. Yeah. yeah. So LA was on fire and, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I remember, I, I, I remember drinking at that, you know, going down to play drums and audition and drinking and having like a beer behind, like I just didn't. At your really, audition. Yeah. Not, I never. And then moving back up to Seattle and Eric and, you know, Courtney and Kurt moved back up and then, Eric comes over in the afternoon and it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. And he comes over to pick me up to start learning the songs. And I'm like, do you want a beer? You know, a Schmidt from the sports uh-huh. pack. And, and he's like, no. And I didn't even know like, <laughs> like that was not cool. You know, like to drink, like you don't offer some, like he looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, well, I didn't even get, cause it was my whole life was all about drinking and being, because I wanted to be comfortable. And didn't learn how to be social, like properly, I think. You know, it was, I had all these issues and I believe, I believe in, but I I felt that if I took alcohol works for me, like I want an instant, I want to change, you know, like I want that comfort now. And I, who wants to sit, like I'm, even now I think about it, it, it's, there's so much work in therapy and talk therapy. And then, you know, like with drugs, it was like, oh, you just boom, take this, you're good. You know, it's like, but I mean, I know the bad part, you know, it's like horrible, but it was like a chemical experiment all the time to get to feel okay. And I knew that if I just took this and this and this, it just, well, it works temporarily. Well, and it was cultural, too, to some extent, I would right. think. Like, the 90s music scene in Seattle, as famous as it got, yeah. it was not exactly clean living for, for everybody. <laughs> it was a pretty messed up place, as yeah. I recall. Yes. And, you know, sometimes I'll throw in the weather into that whole yeah. thing, that whole Totally recipe. legit. It's totally like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody was. And, and you'd run into friends at, you know, different dealers' houses or whatever. And everybody was always into least drinking and that's who my friends were everybody drank like me you know yeah yeah i always tell people that you have to understand that the reason that there's so many bands is because you can't go outside a lot of the time so you stay Uh in in your garage and the whole the whole grunge fashion was mostly because that's what was available at value village and goodwill yeah flannel shirts right yeah leftover from loggers (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And then if you've ever driven from, well, Federal Way to Marysville, right when you hit Marysville, the pulp mill. Do you yes. know about the pulp mill? Yes. Not the greatest smelling thing. It like no. just this horrible smell. Also the logging. But, uh, you know, I guess I got used to it after a while. But I always think people that are coming into town that have never smelt that before. It's, just, <laughs> it's pretty informative them. to, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've often pointed that out. I didn't know Kurt, but but I always say, you know, if you've been to Aberdeen, there's a lot you'll understand (laughs) if you spend a little time there. So so you're in Hole. Nirvana starts getting huge. Hole starts getting huge. Nirvana was huge 
pretty much when You're, I got into Hole. When you got yeah. in, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Hole gets bigger. You're a rock star in one of the biggest rock bands around. What happens with your mental health? What happens with your substance use Yeah. as Rolling Stone reporters start showing up? Yeah. I'd had a, quite a go around with alcohol in a lot before joining Hole and like make all kinds of drugs, etc. And so I'd sort of try to arrange it where I could show up for rehearsal. Like Eric and I were going through this time of really working hard and learning everything Thing they'd ever done and I had to learn it all and be sharp and I would show up you know pretty hungover and it got like you know of course he figured it out really quick well you're a drunk and so I was then it began like hiding it and trying new drugs like heroin and you know things were trying to like figure out a way to be high because I needed it to function and I needed it to feel not less than in a situation of people that were intimidating, like crazy, like intense woman who led the band who scared me, you know, but also was, you know, cool, too. But I, and so I needed to do heroin and but everybody's like hiding it and lying to each other in our band anyway. It was like but um there was those insecurities of like photo shoots where, first of all, there's no schedule at all. Photographer says, we're going to start, we're going to do a photo shoot. It's going to start at 5 p.m. Courtney doesn't show up till eight or nine. So we're all waiting around. And then there's that. So in that time, you got to, uh, so there's time to like ingest drugs, right? <laughs> and like sort of like to squash down the feelings of I'm mad you know, about this, but I can't say anything. And then feeling like insecure, having a person in your band who is, is like so concerned about appearance and stuff too, you know, like, you're like, you gotta be this, you gotta be cool. You gotta, blah, blah, blah. so that just in consuming more drugs to, to feel better and comfortable and then going home and, you know, being alone for a while. Don't want to do that either. Mm. Don't want to do that with a clear head. You better yeah, cloud exactly, it up. To deal with all the, yeah. And then being a good drummer, trying to come up with great ideas and then being self-conscious. You know, like once I started to get paid to play, then things got different. You know, I didn't feel like I'm, I, I like my drumming, you know, but then when I, I had to like, my world got big and I was like, I got to really work hard on playing drums. I'd always been, and you mentioned this in your book too. I'd always just kind of like got by, you know, I was like getting by half measures, like never really applied, you know, and that was my whole life, you know, and that was like, I never pushed it with drums. I just sat back and like, oh, I like this. Da, 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 da. And I never really challenged myself. Like, you know, I'm sure Danny Carey did from Tool in Spokane, you know, or whatever, uh. you know, they, <laughs> I, I just didn't. And so now it was about that hard work. You know, I just was a complete mess. And there were so many other things going on that I flipped out about that I couldn't, you know, there, I have no, you know, excuse to, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like there was a sense of not wanting to 
to get caught. You know, maybe some imposter syndrome kind of stuff going on there too, where yes, yeah. you know, we're like, right. yeah, they're gonna find out. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't you're know how to <laughs> kid from Marysville who's just trying to fool everybody right. for a while. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Plus, I'm a girl, and I can't right. be. I can't fuck this up. Right. And, um, right. Well, yeah. and and you didn't come out as as gay till like. 95 is that right um oh i came out when i was 18 but like publicly and that rolling stone was like yeah 95 and i have to say once before i came out to my mom that was also a i really wanted to check out because i felt so as a teenager i felt so i felt bad about being gay and i i didn't want to didn't want my secret out you know but it was too hard to live like that and I'm really grateful my mom listened when I said you know I I I came out to her and she said you'll find your people they're there and it's going to be okay and I did and I think a lot too was when Nirvana got big and Kurt was talking about it's okay to be gay and it's okay to be different and it's okay to wear a dress or do whatever you want. Everybody kind of, the, the world started to change a little. And, and I, I felt like, you know, I'm just going to be myself and be out. And this is me. I'm not hiding that. And yeah, I felt like comfortable and safe in my band to just be myself that way. Uh, housekeeping here. My book that Patty mentions is called The Hilarious World of Depression. KISW is the big hard rock station in Seattle. Just ahead, having a substance use problem and becoming a huge rock star. What could go wrong? Many things. Back with Patty Schemmel, she was more than just the drummer in Courtney Love's band. She lived with Courtney for a while, and Kurt Cobain, and Kurt and Courtney's new baby at the time, Francis. That period is covered a lot in Hit So Hard, the memoir and the documentary. It's very moving because they love each other, but it's also ominous because you know what lies ahead for Kurt. He didn't want to get clean, you know, I don't, and, and I, I get it, you know, and he made his choice that I don't want to get clean. This is my choice. I'd rather, you know, commit suicide than get clean and sober. And that's, you know, I don't, I I mean, that's, I have no idea what he felt, but I, I imagined and I've said it before that I I just feel like that he all of a sudden felt on the run, you know, and it was like, I don't want to get clean and I don't want to show up and I don't want to all this stuff. And I mean, I think that sometimes that our addiction or our depression give us something special too, you know, and, and he took his and, made such great and beautiful music with it. And yeah. Did you want to get clean? Um, no. 
uh, all those years of <laughs> rehabs, et cetera, I, I only got clean because everybody wanted me to, you know, they were, and, and I had to get my shit together to go on tour. And it was that constant back and forth of, you know, go on tour, come home, get strung out, and then you got to go back out. And then you're like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll quit all by myself, you know, or, and then I'll go on the road and it'll be fine. It never, yeah, it's just Yeah, I'll horrifying. be two different people who make completely different sets of decisions. Yeah. Which doesn't really track. Yeah. After Kurt died and, and soon after that, Kristen Pfaff died, who was the, the bass player for Hole. Did that change your relationship with sobriety? Did that change your relationship with substances or how you thought of it? Yeah, I um, I felt uh, I right after Kurt died, I went into my first rehab, and it was a non medical, and it was a was really harsh. Um, Meaning like all willpower kind of thing? Yeah, no, um, it was no non-medical meaning. It was just no pills, nothing to kick with. You're just like, you know, Oof. here's your bed, here's your, yeah. And Jesus. coming coming <laughs> out of it and then, then you get a head full of lectures and group and, and a lot of that stuff from my first rehab stay, even though I grew up with this language and stuff, a lot of this I remember it a lot. And so they always say that once you go to rehab or a meeting, then you have a head full of all this knowledge and it really fucks up your drug and drinking, you know, moving forward because you've got it all in, you know, in your head, you know, anyway, when I got out of that, that rehab, I came home and got a call from Kristen and she said, I'm packing up my stuff and you want to come over and I, I couldn't because I, I knew if I went over, I, I might get high, you know, and I didn't want to, I just wanted to try to get clean, you know, just, I, I just knew that there was a lot of focus on us at that time. Like, right. I just felt that this is not a time to be strung out right after your friend, you know, killed himself. And it, it, I just, and I wanted to try. And so she, she OD'd that night and, um, and I, I started a job. I was painting houses in Bainbridge Island and I got a phone call at, anyway, my boss drives out to this house. I'm like, there's beautiful homes, you know, and he's like, you know, there's emergency, you got to call, bubble, you know. And, uh, and and you're doing this job as part of the sobriety effort. Yeah, you know? like, well, you know, they tell you, get a job and like you have something to do every day and go to meetings. And so that's what I did. I, I And got being a job. in a hole didn't count probably. I, in that. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> at all. And, yeah. you know, like, I don't, you know, it wasn't like I made a whole bunch of money either, you know, so it it, it was nice. I had a little extra cash. Yeah, so uh, um, Kristen died and then that that was a like i was like devastated but my choice was i stayed clean for a little while you know and i dealt with how it felt and i put that into drums and we started to play like practice and we looked for a bass player and we 
found Melissa, Billy Corgan stepped in and said, you know, and then it was about Melissa and her learning the songs and us playing Reading right away in August. And I remember being prepared to go to meetings in London and like or when we were there and like I had my friend Joe who came along and he was sober and I think I was given it a good, you know, attempt. And then, um, and everybody kind of knew, you know, Patty's, Patty's clean and sober. So, you know, and Courtney was always like, like if people got on our bus and was like, you know, drunkles or whatever, she'd be like, get, don't be, don't do that around Patty, you know, or uh-huh. whatever. And like, but anyway, so, and then, it, you know, it didn't last long. That's it. You know, we um, started uh, playing and yeah, just, I, it just didn't last long. And I, I, I am the kind of person that like, if I'm sober and I'm not really working on recovery, there's stuff, other stuff that comes up. I have other issues like, well, I need, my ego needs to be like, so I get a, I have to have a girlfriend, you know? So I need that sort of like. um, Validation. Yeah. Yeah. And so that worked, that's temporary as well. You know, you can't, it doesn't fix or cure that, that, that stuff. I think there's a, a lot of people, I was, I was talking with Gabe, our producer about this before we started the interview that, that I think there's a, a misconception among people who haven't done a journey with sobriety that things get really, really bad. And then you go to rehab and then you're fine for the rest of your life. Yeah, It's a lot more complicated than that. And it's often a lot more prolonged than that. Uh-huh. Do you know how many times you went through like a facility, a rehab facility, recovery yeah. facility, and then relapsed? Yeah. Well, if including detoxes, uh, it's like 23 times, I think, you know, like some other, other, you know, a detox hospital, uh, actual, um, you know, rehab stay. And I've been to rehabs where it's like state level, like nothing, you know, like, you know, like a foundation pays for you. Like, you know, you're going to the Salvation Army rehab and then all the way up to the tip top rehab where you're doing yoga and you get acupuncture and <laughs> you're in the and mountains. It's like, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's all the same. We're all doing the same thing. No matter if you're on a horse or getting yoga or, you know, <laughs> whatever. Did, did like around, you know, number 20 or 21 <laughs> or 22, did you think maybe I can't do this? Like maybe this is uh-huh. just, Maybe I'm trying to dunk a basketball here and I just right. can't do this physically. Yeah. No, <laughs> I <Good>. think <laughs> it, it was more about, I'm not doing it right. It was always, <laughs> I've got to, there, I've got to try a different way. I've got to like, man, you got to like it, it. There's so much about setting things up and, and uh, managing. And I wasn't tired of that juggling yet. You know, I had to, and what was I going to do? I, I I can't like show up and be in this life in this band sober. It's it's it, I can't. There's a lot of feelings, and now there's a lot of feel sadness too. You know, I did you were you dealing with any guilt about Kurt Cobain and Kristen Pfaff's death? Did you feel like you should have yeah. done something else? Yes, yes, and. I wish with in with Kurt so much that I could go back and we didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, 
he was different when he was, you know, of course on, on heroin, but he wasn't, you know, he's a really funny person. And, and look, we have the same sort of like pop culture references and stuff. And, and that, that's, that was there a little bit like in, but kind of gone. And I don't know, he just, I felt like I, I couldn't say anything though. You know, I, I mean, he, he was, he warned me, he told me, don't, do this you know like we I ran into him at our drug dealer's house and he's like what are you doing and um <laughs> and you're like what yeah. are you doing yeah 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 but there's there's no rationality at that point yeah. you know there's there you, yeah it, it can be so frustrating because you try to apply logic and reasoning to anyone's mm-hmm. situation and it doesn't work yeah and it, same with Kristen like I wish that I was a, you know, what if I did go there that night and, and I did, maybe she wouldn't have done, you know, heroin that night or, and also, you know, the stuff like when Kurt had issues with, you know, his digestion and his, you know, that physical stuff, I mean, not to say that that wasn't a real thing. I'm sure, you know, it was to him, but also I, I found you know, that we all make up things about, you know, as addicts, like chronic illnesses to like, you know, well, I've got this pain and I need to take this, you know, and, and creating that, you know, I, I myself, I've got lower back issues, you know, or whatever. And like, I just remember him talking about his stomach so much, and I'm sure he probably, it was messed up from, you know, but also, I don't know. It just there's some self persuasion yeah. there. There's yeah. Some, yeah, yeah. Something that that really struck me with your story when I read the book was was how quickly things went from playing in one of the biggest bands in the world, win, you know, winning all these awards and playing these huge festivals, you know, as headliners, to living on the street in Los Angeles out of the band and. Yeah really, really fast. Yeah. Coming up, it all falls apart fast and hard. Um, hi, I'm looking for a movie. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, there's that new foreign film with the time travel. There's an amazing documentary about queer history on streaming. Have I told you about this classic where giant robots fight? Or there's that one that most critics hated, but I thought was actually pretty good. Ooh, I know. The one with the huge car chase, and then there's that scene where... The, the car, car jumps, jumps over, over the submarine. submarine. Wow, who are you eclectic movie experts? Well, I'm Ify Wadiway. I'm Drea Clark. And I'm Alonzo Duraldi. And together, we host the movie podcast, Maximum film new episodes every week on maximumfun.org and you actually just walked into our recording booth oh weird sorry i thought this was a video store you seem like a lady with a lot of problems well manolo we have a show to promote it's called dr game show it's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world No, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. (laughs) 
Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know. It sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. <laughs> Come for the games and stay for the chaos. Back with Patty Schemmel. At this point in her story, she is a mess from substance use disorder. And she's not the only one like that within her band. In the band, it wasn't, you know, like, we've got one person who, you know, is, an, is a drug addict who is in my band, Courtney, and, and that's an, enough of a problem for her. And so, you, you know, like, Patty, you and your bullshit uh, you don't have time for it, you know. And so it was a, a lot of, you, you better get your shit together, you know, and a lot of getting clean and getting, you know, showing up and lying and saying, I'm, you know. And a series of that. And it was, you know, the band finally, you know, an intervention there. So Courtney calls me and says, you know, come over to my house. I want to talk about album art, which is, I should have known right there. Because what? Who's it? It was for Celebrity Skin. She never asked me about anything as far as our art goes, because she's the the art person. And, but, yeah, come over. I mean, uh, okay. So I go over there and like something was weird and I walk in and, you know, there's a full intervention and it's catered. There was like a guy catering it. There was like food and a whole thing like, we're, you know, we're really afraid that you're going to die. And and it was really intense because of, you know, Kurt, Kristen. And uh, so and Courtney, I remember saying, you know, I'm not going to have another dead band member. And so I had to go into, you know, another rehab and it was a sober living this time. And I remember I got kicked out eventually because I had an affair with some girl. In the, You know, you, you, that's the other thing, you know, like get clean and then move on to this other thing, which is, you know, the, the relationship thing and and then, you know, getting high again. And then it's on. And it's like a series of that. So I'll bring you up to like the the final, the, the culmination of everything came when, you know, we'd been sort of like working on this record, writing songs. I'm living with Melissa. We're living in Silver Lake. We go out every night. Everybody says, oh, look, it's Flea and Anthony. And, and I'm like, thanks. You know, because we were just like out on the town. <laughs> and, um, and, and Melissa is, you know, she doesn't have a drinking problem or a drug problem, you know, and she's like, and I'm lying to her doing drugs in the house. You know, it's, it's ah, that kind of betrayal, right? So we're going into the studio, we're recording Celebrity Skin. I just have gotten out of another rehab, okay? <laughs> and Courtney was sending me cassettes in the rehab and she's like, this is what we're working on. It's beautiful. It's Billy Corrigan. It's on twinkling the keyboard there. And like, you know, I'm listening. Wow, that's beautiful. And, and and Courtney working on melodies and Eric's guitar. And so I come show up and start working too. And I gotta say, I loved working with Billy Corgan. Okay. And and then here comes our new producer, Michael Beinhorn. He comes in, great guy. He's done a lot of great records and his style is old schoolish, you know. He, he, I guess, had the, made the decision that you know he's done this before. Gets his own drummer who comes in, right? So everybody's like, "That's not going to happen, Patty," because he had this reputation. Yeah. And um, I'm like, "Cool, 
And then we go in and we start recording and everything goes to hell. He, you know, he's like, nah. after three weeks, he's like, I'm going to have to cut you. And he calls up his buddy who had been waiting in the, this hotel the whole time to come over and do the tracks. Right. So and, and like, I didn't know that that happens like a lot more than you think, but it doesn't happen in punk rock. Hello. Uh-huh. It does not. Uh, yeah. And, and, but whatever. And so at, with that moment, that moment was all those things came true for me. The, the I don't play well. Okay. Um, and you know, my band betrayed me, you know. And the imposter is, syndrome is confirmed. Right. That, that you've exactly. been terrible all along. Yeah. Right. And that's the kind of my, thinking you, you get know, into. You know, my roommate slash bass player slash best friend is is on board with it. Like, what? You know, and Courtney's like, Pat, Pat, you know, you know, I remember this drama of leaving that day and she's like coming out, running out of the studio going, Pat, Pat, this is just business, you know, and it was sort of like that. uh, It sounds so dramatic, but it was like, you know, it's just Chinatown. Remember that? Anyway, (laughs) and it was just similar. Anyway, um, so she. They say it's just business and the Godfather right before they kill the guy. (laughs) Yeah. So, so then it's on and I'm like, fuck you guys. And I don't remember ever going back really, you know, like just, yeah. Then I was just sort of kind of like in the ether and living here, living there, getting high. And then, then I get this phone call. And by then I'd picked up a new drug, which was crack cocaine, mixing it with heroin. And it's just sort of like progressed. And had still had some money. They call up. They say it's time. We're going to do a photo shoot for the cover. Come to this photo shoot because we want you on the record. And I was like, okay. So I show up, and it's just horrible. You know, the we're they're shooting uh, the photos, and I I weigh you know like two pounds and just dead eyes and and then from there on, I uh, then I thought, well, I guess you know, kind of. They're like, look. You didn't play on the record, but that's fine. You know, we're still going to do this. We're just not going to tell anybody, you know. And I was like, hey. so I, you know, got more spun out. And then then they, you know, they fired me because I just couldn't, you know, I looked pretty bad and wasn't showing up. And so, yeah. And then one last rehab, Hazelden. And, and I left that and they were like, you know, our deal was you were supposed to stay there. We got a new drummer. And so they got Samantha Maloney and she played and it was great. And they went on that, that last tour. But, um, and while that, that, that pain of that was so intense that I had a little lump of money and I spent it all right quickly. And then nothing, I had nowhere to live. And It was a slow sort of, I put my stuff in a storage and then, then I was like, okay, all the drugs are here, you know? And then I was basically at the dope house every day. And then I just ended up kind of staying there and then just sort of being part of the, whatever street situation was going on to get high. There, that was my, I could not get um, enough drugs in my body, you know, at that point, because I felt that, well, that was my whole life as well. Like I'd built my whole life around drums and being in that band. And that in itself was like, like, there should be so much more 
<laughs> than that, you know, and that's not just me, my identity. I mean, at that time it was. And so I was like, what now? You know? Yeah. So what then? Like what you got better. And I know that, that the word cured and solved isn't really <laughs> how this yeah. works, but, but what turned the corner for you? Yeah. That is a question that uh, like, like a lot of, I've been asked that question a lot and, and, what happened was in it, it's all those cliches of I, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I could not, the drugs didn't work. And I, I reached out and I got help and I got into cry help, which is in uh, rehab in Burbank. And at that, I had nowhere to live and I had nothing. So there was really nowhere to go. And I, I just was sort of felt that drugs betrayed me as well, you know, that I, like that's not working. And and I just I went into rehab with no I had no desire to do anything except I just shuffled along, you know, and I did what they told me because I had no more fight in there and I had no. It was going to be like, okay, let's just give it one last time. And this one last time, no one asked me to go this time. You know, I wasn't going for my band. I wasn't going for a girlfriend. I wasn't going for my parents or my brother or, you know, anything or the record label, whatever. I went just, I went. And that was the thing. It was, and I, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do the things. I just, you know, kind of like was on autopilot and slowly started to kind of come around and kind of come back to life. And the feelings coming out of it were like intense. That had been held back by the substances for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to feel it all, but I also had to, you know, I went from the rehab into a sober living and that was also, there was more, I went, you know, like a month in rehab and then six months in a sober living. And I, I, you know, it's that thing again, you know, you go in, it's like a twin bed, you know, and it's plastic and there's like, you know, like, you know, like one drawer, put your things in here, you know, here's your toothbrush, you know, and doing that. And, and then all the other women in the house were working and I, and I was just like, I'm not, I wasn't, you know, Patty and from whole, I was just like, there's that new girl. You know, uh -huh. whatever. And and so they were getting jobs. So I had to get a job and I I applied at a dog daycare boarding place and I had to take the bus and took the bus and started at this place. And what was started to change was that feeling of I had to be there at this certain time and I had to work and then um, go home. You know, it was like I showed up. I did it. And, you know, my boss was like, good job, a good job. I got a good job, you know, like, like you did well. And then little bits of that and a little more responsibility that had nothing to do with drums, had nothing to do with hole or getting your picture taken or anything. It had to do with Patty showing up. And then eventually like, you know, here's the keys you're going to lock up tonight. Whoa, someone gave me the keys and they trust me to lock up, you know, like those it's that's all those things kind of built up a little bit. of. It just made me feel better. You know, it started to fill up some of the stuff, you know, and 
also the having other addicts and you know around me that that I wanted some of what they had, you know, like just some stability and some some kind of routine. I do really well with the routine every day, you know. And yeah, without any guide and without it, I don't do well, you know. Yeah. And dogs are great too. Right. Like, That's the in other a very thing. real way. Yeah. Oh my God. John, I realized I was because I was sober, I had no drugs in me. I when I went in and I saw the dogs I could feel a difference in my body, like a calmness. I could feel it because I'm such a drug addict, you know, and I could feel the change. And then I was like, ah, okay, I, I like this. And, and the ones that were the problem, I felt so connected to because, you know, I know what it's like to, you know, he's, he, that dog bites because there's something else going on. And, yeah. you know, I know Got that. anger issues on his report yeah, yeah, yeah. card. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he can't play drums. Around. He yeah. cannot play drums. What's the difference in playing drums now? Because you still you still play. Yeah. But up until you got sober, chemicals had always been involved with the yeah. drums. How does it right. feel different now? Yeah, I definitely, you know, that thinking back and remembering that I thought I played well when I was on drugs was like a complete, like what, how, there's no possible way to play well because everybody, there's no connection. Right. And so now I I just feel like I listen more, you know, and I, I feel, I, I just, I want, I listen more and I'm a lot, like I said earlier, I'm a little more gentle about, playing and like want to be a musician instead of just banging away at stuff and and like watch other drummers and see you know what they do and want to like you know learn new ideas and it's just fun to challenge myself like that and and I I make a point to be grateful that I still get to play and I still get to you know, tour sometimes. And, you know, this last summer I had a, a fun tour with this singer, songwriter, dance music woman, Kaisa. And we played some pretty big places. And I remember getting, you know, just sitting down and going, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. And this is my favorite place to be. And I know this view. I know it well. And it feels good to be here. And I'm grateful that I'm here. And yeah, drums are, it's like my longest relationship. Before anything. Yeah. Do you still hit them pretty hard, though, sometimes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that feels good, too. Yeah, it does. Yes. That's Patty Schemmel. The book and documentary are called Hit So Hard. I went looking for some Patty music online. Here she is playing with the band Upset track called Holy Basil.
if people support our show through a small donation, we can keep making the show. But if they don't, then we can't keep making the show because the show costs money. If you donate, you make Depression Mode happen, and we thank you. If you haven't donated yet, oh, don't worry. It's easy. Find a level that works for you. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join, please. Be sure to hit subscribe on Depression Mode. Give us five stars. Write reviews. Those things help goose the algorithm. And we all like a goosed algorithm every year for Christmas dinner, don't we, folks? Those ratings, those reviews help more people find our show. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. We always love to hear from you. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. We're on Twitter and Instagram at depreshpod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. Hello, Credits listeners. Annual instances of electric golf cart-related injuries rose dramatically between 1990 and 2006. 132% increase. Don't worry, mostly bruises. What about since 2006? How many injuries have there been since then? Who knows? No one's done a study recently. And so we must live in ignorance and fear and uncounted bruises. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings This is Jonathan from Texas. I wanted to let you know that things can get better. While there is life, there is hope. Good luck. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.